All right. Good morning. Morning. I see here. Is this on? Do I have to do something? It should work. Let's see, Pastor, if you'll... I forgot to grab that ahead of time. And let me grab my other set of eyes. How many of you noticed I was sitting this morning during the last two Psalms? All right. Um, you may notice that from time to time, just before we get started this morning, so you understand why I do that. It's because I'm rebellious and I don't want to sing. Um, no, not really. Uh, when I was at uh, Bible college, one of my jobs was to shampoo carpet. And one of the things that I had to do was carry heavy shampooers, uh, industrial size, up and down staircases. And doing that, I have in both legs really bad varicose veins. I've had them since I was 20 years old. For the most part, they've never slowed me down, but as I'm growing older, they start to bother me more, and if I stand too long, after a while my feet give out. And so I didn't want that to happen during the sermon, so I tried to rest a little bit uh, uh, before the end of the, uh, before I began this morning. So I'm not being rebellious, I'm not being difficult. Uh, I uh, just sometimes have to give, I know when I need to let my feet rest a little bit so that they can carry me on the rest of the journey for the day. Well, my wife says I'm a pessimist. I say I'm a realist, and when it comes to money, I'm an optimist. I always think it'll go farther than it will. My wife says I'm the only person who can spend the same dollar twice, uh, but I uh, think that I am a realist. In 1997, I moved to my second church after living here in Alabama with Donna for about 18 months between churches. I went to a church in LaPorte, Indiana. I was in my late 20s, early 30s during that ministry. And an interesting thing happened. I attended and preached more funerals in that 18 months of that, my ministry, 18 months of my ministry there than I have the rest of my ministry. In 18 months time, I had over 24 uh, funerals that I did and others that I attended. I was beginning to wonder if it was me. And the interesting thing about those funerals, they weren't all for old people. I remember sitting in a funeral of about 600 people in attendance in our auditorium we had to put back before there was all the Facebook and all that, we had to run a TV line down and, and put it on closed circuit TV downstairs. There were so many people there. And one of the ladies in our church who had helped take care of our son Wesley when he was little, especially on Wednesday night during Awana, she would take the kids who weren't old enough for Awana and take them to her house and let them play at her house while Awana went on. She had four kid, young kids of her own, and she contracted, thank you, sir, I appreciate that, contracted breast cancer um, and ultimately died. Four young kids, young father. Her father was a judge, had been the longest sitting circuit judge in the state of Indiana at the time, over 50 years as a circuit judge. And so people came from all over the state and we shared the gospel with them, which was her desire. 
remember another funeral in a funeral home where there were about a hundred bikers in attendance one of the ladies in our church her son had wrapped his sports car around the tree at about a hundred miles an hour and all these bikers came to the funeral he was in his 20s she'd had a lot of other tragedy had already lost some other family members but such a poignant time and to get to speak to over a hundred bikers and other people who probably many of had never heard the gospel and they did something I'd never seen maybe you'd seen it but as they went out they stuck whiskey bottles and beer bottles and everything in his casket and I thought boy I'm glad I had the chance to share the gospel with these guys and gals so when pastor said I'd like to I'm gonna set my water over here I'd like to have you preach a few more times this coming year. As I said in the opening of my introduction in the worship guide, I'm not a good one-off person. I don't think in one-offs, I think in series. My brain is always at work, going, thinking about. And one of the things that I've noticed through my life of ministry, getting closer to 40 years, in uh, vocational ministry more than that in just volunteer ministry I've recognized that too often we wait too long to think about everyone's favorite topic death and dying say oh boy I'm so glad I came to church today because we're going to be talking about death and dying and unfortunately, in our society, we have moved that and sanitized that to where we don't want to think about it. And yet, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that the day of one's death is better than the, the day of his birth. He also wrote, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of laughter. So anybody want to sign up to go to the funerals this week? But why does he say those things? It's because we have to live our lives as children of God in light of the end. The focus that we have in this life will ultimately be what is recorded at the end of our life. Now it's easy to say, well, I'm young, I'm in good health, I'm not as old as Charles Jones is, so I'm okay. But what we know is that we don't know. Many of you know we have a son who's in heaven who went to be with the Lord at 16 and a half years old. Wasn't sick, wasn't expected, but he's with the Lord. And so as Pastor and I, uh, he said he wanted me to speak on several things. I gave him some good t ideas and a lot of them I'm just joking with him about, such as the, seven, the five points of Calvinism and why I believe all seven. An annual review of the pastor's sermons and the one thing he did get right. And some other things. I do have a little sense of humor. But I couldn't get away from this topic. 
before I go. You see, the only thing Ecclesiastes says that you can do for God in the reaching of men and women and boys and girls for Jesus Christ is on this side of the grave. And if we want to end well, not only do we have to begin well, but we've got to pay attention to the in-between. And far too often as I've sat with families and weeped with them and prayed with them and prepared for them for the, with them for funerals, I've recognized that they have no clue. They haven't given any thought. Not only to their loved ones end, but also their own. And so I just want us to think, not in a morbid way, but in a serious way. In a somber way to be reminded that we are on a journey. And all the commercials today and advertisements and everything tell you about you're on a journey. It's all about journey right now. But I want to remind you there's an end to the journey. And we need to be prepared for it. And we need to be living in light of it. Turn with me, if you will, this morning to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. Joshua was a servant of God. Oops. That is not correct. That is not correct. That is not correct. They're like in opposite order. There's where I need to be. All right. I want to think this morning about what Joshua says. Let's just read the first verse and then ask for the Lord's help. And it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. Father, I pray as we look at your word today that you would help us to understand it and to apply it, that you would use it to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua was the right-hand man of Moses. And as Moses' demise, when the Lord was ready for Moses' ministry to end, Joshua was the man that God chose and that Moses ordained to be the leader of the people who would take them into the, the promised land. The book of Joshua is full of the military exploits of Joshua. But now we come to the the near end of his life. He dies at 110 years old in the next chapter. And in chapters 23 and 24, Joshua, at the end of his life, when the land has been conquered, but not all of the people have yet been subdued, when the land has been divided, but not all of the possessions have yet been um, taken, Joshua calls the people together and says, there's some things I want to share with you before I go. Before I go, there's some things I want to remind you about. Before I go, I want you to hear 
this. I'm afraid which way to go now. <laughs> Keep going back that way, all right. So the four final words of Joshua to his leaders. In chapter 3, he's talking to the leaders. In chapter 24, he calls all the people together at Shiloh and there shares his final address. But here he calls the leaders. Here he calls the men who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the people of Israel. And he calls them together and shares these things with him. And so he gives them, as it were, four final words as his parting address. Notice, first of all, he says, remember what God has done. And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest, and Joshua called for all Israel. And he said, verse 3, And ye have seen all that the Lord your God had done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God, it is he that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them before you and drive them from out of your sight, and ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised you. The Lord your God, he is the one who has fought for you. As I begin to think about living my life with the end in view, I have to be remember, I have to remember what the Lord has done for me. I have to remember how he has saved me by his grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I have to remember how he has transformed me and how he continues to change me by his spirit and by his word. I have to remember that nothing that God has done in my life has been wasted. I've gone through tragedy. I've had sorrow. I've had great joy and great sadness. But through it all, as I look back, I remember that God is in the midst of it all. I was adopted at an early age, and as I look back, I see the hand of God in that. I grew up with uh, three brothers and a sister, and the family where my father worked and made just enough to get by. And I see the father's hand in that. As a family, my mother came to know Christ first, and then all of our kids and my, uh, all of us kids, and then my dad last. And I see how God's hand worked in that. And if we're going to end well, it means that right now we have to focus on remembering what God has done. It is God, Joshua said, who has fought for you. Yes, you've done the work. Yes, you've struggled. Yes, you've cried. Yes, you've sweat, blood, and tears. But in the end, it is God who has fought for you. And sometimes we forget that. Living in America where we want to do it our own way and be our own man, we forget that it is ultimately God. We've come this far because God has brought us to this point. And whatever level of success, whatever level of spiritual maturity, 
whatever level of grace is evident in your life, it is because of God and God alone. Had he not fought for you, had he not worked with you, had he not gone before you and behind you and surrounded you, none of it would be possible. And so Joshua says to the people as they sit there this day, to the military commanders, to those who have been um, influential, to those who have been instrumental to the, to the um, claiming of the promised land, he says, remember what God has done. The Lord your God, it is he that has fought for you. He shall expel them as the Lord your God hath promised. Notice what verse 10 says. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he has promised you. Remember what God has done. Secondly, remember what you are to do. You see, God didn't tell us as we were studying this morning in our lesson in Genesis on the life of Jacob. God didn't just expect us to sit in a chair and let him fulfill his promises to us. Jacob worked hard. Jacob suffered. Jacob spent a lot of energy and time to become what God wanted him to be. And there's something for us to do. We are not just to sit soaked and sour because now we're safe. But we're to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law, he writes to Joshua, or Joshua says to them. They're to cleave unto the Lord their God and thereby not cleave to the idols of their world. They are to love the Lord their God. And he says they have a responsibility. There's something there to do. God is the one fighting for you, but don't think that means that you can just sit back and coast on the glory. We are to study his word. We are to shine his light. We are to reflect his glory. We are to be his hands and his feet and over and over and over again. And as we think about the end, and as we focus on living our life in a way that will make the end what it can be and what it should be, we need to remember what we are to do. Then number three, he says, remember your future. In verse 14 is a statement which at first we might just read over. But notice what it says. And Joshua says, And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. Hey, you have a future. Whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, you have a future. The way of all the earth is not avoidable. It's the way of all the earth. All of us will one day come to the end of this life. The way of all the earth is not schedulable. I've had funerals for babies and teenagers and young adults and old people. The way of the earth, of all the earth, is not schedulable. 
You can't pull your day timer out or your calendar on your iPad or your iPhone and set the date. I know we don't like to sometimes think about that, but we need to. Today could be my last day to live for God's glory. Today could be my last day to speak on God's behalf. Today could be my last day to worship and praise for the benefit of others. Because someday will come when that is no longer an opportunity. When that is no longer a choice. And then the way of the earth, ah, oh, this is important, is not the end. Lots of people like to think today that live in our world that life is life and when you're dead, you're dead and that's that. It'd be great if it were true, but it's not. The Bible is very clear. It is appointed under man once to die and after that, judgment. Yes, every man, woman, boy, and girl will die unless Jesus comes and receives us into himself. But other than that, count on it. Plan on it. Prepare for it. But remember, it's not the end. It's not the end for you. It's not the end for your loved ones. It's not the end for your neighbors. It's not the end for those who live in your community, in your country, or in your world. There is a future past death. And it's important that we remember that and that we plan accordingly and that we live accordingly and that we make our choices in life accordingly. Remember your future. The way of the earth is not avoidable. My father, who as last Friday was the fifth anniversary of his death, went to be with the Lord at 89 years old, he was a World War II veteran, uh, worked hard his whole life, uh, took care of us, did without so that we as kids could have things that we would not have otherwise had. We were never rich. I don't think that we thought ourse of ourselves as poor, but it was just the way life was. And in the last several years of his life, he began to get dementia. And in the last uh, two and a half years, he lived with us. And then especially the last six months that he lived with us, his dementia got to the point where he was very confused about things. And uh, one day he told Donna, I'd like you to come in the room. I'd like you to sit down. I have something serious to talk to you about. And that's always, you know, wondering. So I came out of the other room. I was out on uh, my little porch where I did my study and enclosed porch. And I came in to see what he was going to say. And he said, Donna, I need somebody to stay awake at night and watch me sleep. And we did what you did. We laughed. I laughed out loud. I shouldn't have, but I did. I said, what, Dad? He said, I need somebody to stay at awake at night and watch me sleep. I said, what for, Dad? And he said, well, I could die. And I said, Dad, we're all going to die. 
but nobody's going to stay awake at night to watch you sleep. (laughs) But we are all going to die. But that doesn't have to be a morbid thing. That doesn't have to be, oh, you know. It's only morbid if you're not prepared. And if you haven't lived accordingly. Because I love what? D.L. Moody said, one day you're going to read that D.L. Moody of Northampton has died. He said, don't believe it, it's a lie, for I shall never be more alive at that moment than I, than I am at that moment. But you can only say that when you prepare and prepare well for the future. Remember your future. And then remember God's promises. He keeps his promises. Notice what he says again in verse 14. And behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing has failed thereof. Oh, God keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. Not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord has promised you. Can you say that in your life? As you look back, are you saying that to your children? Are you saying that to your grandchildren? Are you saying to you that to your friends and your families and your co-workers, not one good thing that God's promised me has failed? That should be the story of our life and the story of our lips. God is faithful. How many of you have been unfaithful to God? I have. But God has never been unfaithful to me. He's kept his promises, every single one of them, in his time, in his way. But don't miss what he goes on to say. For verse 15 says, Therefore it shall come pass that it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he hath destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God doth give you, when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land which he has given unto you. Remember your future, yes, but remember God's promises. He keeps his promises to bless, but he also keeps his promises to discipline his children and for punishment for those who reject him. Therefore it shall come to pass that both the good, the happy, the I want those promises and the bad, I don't want those promises will come to pass. You see, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That's a promise. If you're a child of God this morning and you continue to walk in disobedience to his will, to his revealed word, you can expect his disciplining hand. I think sometimes we've let the pendulum swing When I grew up, everything was God out to get you. 
something bad happened to you, God was correcting you for something. You need to go sit in the corner till you figure out what it is that God is disciplining you for. And even as a younger child, I used to think, well, if God is a good father, why do I have to go figure it out? Wouldn't he just tell me? Wouldn't he make it clear to me? When my dad's whipped us, which was probably not as often as we needed it, but when he did, he never just whipped us and said, now you go figure out what that was all about. He told us what it was all about before he whipped us. And I believe God's a good father and he's going to tell us when we're being disciplined. Some things in life are just because we live in life. Some things God brings into our lives to hone us and to mold us and to make us into the person he wants. But some things God brings into our lives are discipline. Now God can discipline us different ways. Some of you may have a child who all you have to say to is, Johnny, you shouldn't have done that. And for them, that's discipline. Their spirit is broken and they're sorry. Others, well, it just requires more. <laughs> and that's the way it is with God. Sometimes God disciplines me by speaking into my conscience. That was wrong. You need to ask that person to forgive you. That was wrong. You need to change the way you're thinking. Sometimes he has to get a little more demonstrative before I pay attention. I want to always be where all he has to do is speak. My dad, he mainly just had to speak. And that was enough discipline. But if you pushed him, and didn't listen and didn't do what he asked you to do, then the, the other came. And I want to have that kind of a sensitive heart to God, that all I have to do is the Spirit speak to my heart, and I recognize my sin, confess my sin, and move forward in what he wants me to do. That's where I want my heart to be. But there's also a sense where God disciplines his children and he promises that. Indeed, scripture says, if God had never disciplines you, then you better question whether you're really one of his children or not. You see, I don't go around correcting and disciplining other people's children. I don't go around and because, to be quite frank, if I were doing that every time I went to the grocery store, I'd never get my shopping done. That's not my job. But God disciplines his children. And if he's not disciplining you and you're living in a way that's displeasing to him and there's no discipline in your life, you better ask whether you really belong to him. Because he says, whom the Lord loveth, he does chasten or discipline. Every one of them. Just to be sure you don't miss it. But there's other promises that God has made and it is to those who reject him. And that is promises of punishment in a place the Bible calls hell forever and ever. And I know it's not popular today for people to think about hell as a place, a real place. And I heard a 
nationally known speaker several years ago who happened to, at the time, be ministering in the town that I was living in and pastoring a church. I heard him say, well, now, I don't really believe hell could be forever because I just don't feel like God could do something like that. And I, out loud to, I can't remember if it was TV or radio I was listening to, said the person's name and said, I don't really care how you feel. It's what God's word says. Hell is a real place. And men and women and boys and girls are headed there. As long as they continue to reject Jesus Christ. They may be the nicest neighbors you've ever had. They may make the best chocolate cake you've ever eaten. They may serve the community in myriads of ways, but if they do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they are destined for the full fruition of the promises of God against those who reject him. Joshua says, remember what God has done for you. Remember what you are to do for God. Remember your future. Remember God's promises. So how do we conclude? Before I go, and I don't know when that'll be. I'm getting older, therefore I know it, it's getting closer. I used to tell my kids when we go on a trip, they'd say, how much farther? Are we there yet? You know all those questions. How much longer is it going to be? And I'd always respond with the same thing. This is the closest we've been all day. <laughs> well, right now, this is the closest we've been to the end of this life. And before I go, I must remember what God has done Pastor referenced it this morning. It's one of my favorite verses. Every good gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. Hey, it's a great evangelistic verse, by the way. Next time something good happens to one of your unsaved friends or family members, ask them, did you thank God for that? And they'll probably go, huh? Say, well, you know, every good gift comes from God. Doesn't matter whether you're saved or not. It rains on the just and the unjust. All good things come from God. When a, one of your unsaved friends or family members or co-workers is healed of a disease, ask them if they thank God for it. Because all healing comes from God. Every good gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights. Before I go, I must remember what God has done. Before I go, I must remember God wants me to do. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy, the Lord, thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 1 John 3, 23 says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son of God. 
You see, you can't love him and disobey him. You can't say, oh, how I love Jesus, or I love Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. I used to have a friend said, but what Jesus is it that you love? Do you love the Jesus of the Bible? Or do you love the Jesus of your own making? It's easy to love the Jesus of your own making because you do what you want and still love Jesus. Listen to a music uh, reward show the other night for a few minutes and every one of the people who won an award loved Jesus, loved God. And yet what they sing of and what their lifestyle speaks is things that are all displeasing to him and I just wonder how could that be? I'm not going to judge them. It's not my place. But it does make me go, huh? What are you talking about? I must remember what God wants me to do. I must remember that my life on this earth will cease. There is an end to this life. You won't go on forever. And given this pandemic, there are thousands of people, if not millions of people, who are scared to death of dying. And many of them say that they're Christians. I am not scared to die. I'm not anxious to go. I'm ready, but not anxious to go. It's like the old story that they told when I was a kid that the evangelist was preaching on, who wants to go to heaven when they die? And he kept going until pretty much everybody in the audience had their hand up. Yes, I want to go to heaven when I die. All but one little boy sitting on the back row. At the close of the service, he went back and talked to the little boy and said, I noticed when I asked, how many people want to go to heaven when I die? You didn't raise your hand. He said, no, sir. He said, can I ask why? He said, well, I thought you was getting up a load ready to go tonight. <laughs> well, we laugh about that. But we need to think. I don't need to be scared of death because Jesus has already paid the penalty. Jesus has already paid the price. And he's already promised that where he is, I will be also. Now, I'm like Paul. I've never died before, and so it's kind of, uh, you know. Someone says, it's not death I'm scared of, it's dying. And that's understandable because it's something we haven't gone through. But I like what a speaker said when I was in Bible college, Dr. Jack Hudson from uh, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Someone asked him one time, aren't you afraid to fly on an airplane? What if it crashes? He said, well, praise God, I'll be in heaven before the metal quits rattling. And that's the attitude we have to have. Be wise, be smart, do smart things. I'm not going to stand in front of a a train coming down the track. But also I'm going to live and not be afraid that one day death is coming because as I told my dad, it is, you will die. I will die. But that need not be a morbid thought. But rather it can be a reason and a rationale for daily focusing on what I need to focus, on who I need to be, on what I need to do, and being all that he wants us to be.
before I go, I must remember that my life on this earth will cease, but that it will not be the end of me. There are two judgments in the Bible. There's the Bema Seat judgment. It is not a judgment for our sin because it was already judged in Jesus Christ. And we've been cleared. We've been forgiven. Not because of what we have done, but because of who he is and what he did for us. But scripture is clear that one day we must all stand appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Those who know Jesus Christ as Savior will one day stand and their works will be judged. So it does matter what you do. Someone recently told me, well, I'm a Christian, I'm safe, so it doesn't matter. It does matter. And it's going to matter even more when you stand before him and have to give an account. I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how long that's going to take. I don't know if everybody else is going to listen in on that. I don't know any of that. All I know is the scripture says it's going to happen. And I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. And I know that I'll have failings, but I hope they're fewer than they would have been had I not stayed focused, stayed vigilant. And then there's the great white throne judgment. Revelation 21 says that all those who reject God will stand in judgment. And ultimately they'll be cast into the lake of fire which God created for the devil and his angels. And there they'll spend eternity. And just remember this, if heaven is eternal, then hell is eternal because the same words are used to describe them both. I must remember that my life on earth will cease, but that will not be the end of me. Before I go, I must remember that God keeps his promises both for blessing and for discipline, for punishment, and for punishment. And I must choose whom I will serve. I want to end with just two very familiar verses. The first is from John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's promise to every man, woman, boy, and girl who hear those words. Whether by live stream, whether in print, whether in person this morning. God promises eternal life to each and every man, woman, boy, or girl that will place their faith in him. That's a promise, and God keeps his promises. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but the other side of the promise. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, there's just two sides. You either have believed or you have not believed. You have either trusted or you are not trusting. There's no in-between. And on the day of judgment, your decision will determine your destiny. That's why it is crucial today if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to think about your end is in sight. It may be closer than you know. Are you prepared to meet the judge of all the earth? As believers, we have to ask ourselves the questions. Are we prepared to meet the judge of all the earth at the Bema Seat judgment? 
Now that doesn't mean we, we don't have to worry about losing our salvation. Don't have to worry about somehow, oops, you did too many bad things, so we're marking you off the list. No. We are his. Eternal life is a gift from him. And God's not an Indian giver. What he gives, he keeps. Who he saves, he keeps and sustains. But it does remind us that we have a responsibility. The final words of Joshua in Joshua 24, 15 are familiar to many of us. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, it's possible in one sense to be the Lord's and yet serve the gods of the land. It's possible to be the child of God and yet get caught up in the idolatry of the world. And so I have to keep my focus. My life verses come from 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10, so we make it our goal to please him. Whether here at home in the body or away from the body. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. One day I'm going to stand before him. And in light of everything that God has done for me, I want it to be a good day. I want it to be a day that brings him honor and glory. I want my life to have counted for him. At the end of my life, when the eulogy is read, when the obituary is written, when the tombstone is inscribed, I want him to say, he did his best to please him. Not always, not perfectly, but I want it to be clear that more times than not, my goal my purpose was to please him. That in the choices and decisions that I make, I sought to please him. But this much I know. If I don't focus on that now, they won't be able to say it then. If I don't pay attention to that now, it won't be true of me then. Because it's also true of a journey that it's one step at a time, one day at a time. So what I do today will impact what happens tomorrow and the next day all the way to the end of my life. So let me ask you before I go, before you go, before we go, remember what God has said. Remember what you're to do. Remember the end of all of us, the future, is the end of this life and an eternity in one of two places and then remember the promises of God God is faithful he'll go with you all the way it won't always be easy doesn't mean you won't have difficulty doesn't mean you won't have sorrow and grief but in it all you can see the hand of God
you can rest in his grace, in his peace, and trust him to take you home safely. Father, I pray today that we would prepare for the end, not only with the right beginning, but with the middle that seeks to please you. Father, I do not know how many days I have. As I grow older, I realize they grow shorter. But what I do know is I want all of them to be for your honor and your glory. That I want to be more focused on you and your promises and your purposes for me than ever before. Help me not to grow weary and well-doing. Help me not to grow lazy as I grow older. But may I love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. And may it be true of all of us who name the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior today, I pray. And for that one sitting here or listening by live stream who does not know you, I pray this morning, open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.